Sometimes it's the youngest among us who know these lessons. When my oldest daughter, Emma, was three, I had the rare opportunity to go out to dinner with a girlfriend. My girls were gonna be with a babysitter. And so I was upstairs getting ready and Emma was upstairs with me. She was playing in her room and listening to music. I heard the doorbell, ran downstairs, opened the door, greeted the sitter who then stayed downstairs with Camille who was only a year old at the time. I hopped back upstairs and turned to Emma and said, okay, time to give mom a hug and a kiss because I'm off to have dinner with Aunt Shelley. Sheer terror entered her face and her eyes got wide and she said, but I, I, I need somebody. Well, she didn't know the babysitter was downstairs and that I really wouldn't leave her alone. We all need somebody, amen? Today we are going to look at a very familiar passage in Isaiah, typically referred to as the suffering servant. In a minute, I'll have you open your Bibles and look at that, but let me set up where we're going. The exile was a time of profound spiritual searching, and the author of this text is addressing the tragedy of Israel's refusal to obey God's will. This has led to a web of sin that degrades not only the life of that current generation, but their posterity as well. In, res in response to the persistent sin, the fourth servant song that I'll read for you in a moment takes a tone that's urgent, passionate, even desperate. Christ is, commentator Paul Hansen states, the audacious alternative of God. I love that phrase. Christ, the audacious alternative of God. In this course of action, to heap upon Jesus all the suffering and sin of the world, this shows us the astonishing compassion of our creator who loves his children he offers the one closest to his heart, his very own son, Jesus Christ, to bear the weight of every burden and every sin. Compelled by love, God recaptures the hearts of the lost. Israel discovers God right in the middle of her mess. They've tried other ways, they've made no progress. And so as Isaiah 49 reminds us, God does a new thing. The text is from Isaiah 53-2 today. I'll begin reading there. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering familiar with pain. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace to us was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Beginning again at verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, 
and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus, the suffering servant, doesn't submit with resignation. Rather, he makes a bold choice to participate with God. His devotion to God is so complete that he sets aside his concern for personal comfort. This was eclipsed by his desire to serve. The suffering servant has become the human vehicle through whom others are healed. You and I are called to do the same. We're invited to be compelled by compassion, to come alongside those who are suffering. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have life, we have hope, and we are called to be carriers of that hope. In Matthew 11, Jesus describes to the crowds what life with him is like and offers this invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know anyone whose soul is weary and needs rest? Anyone who's feeling hopeless or alienated and alone? You and I are called to serve others by sharing their heavy load. Unlike Jesus, we cannot bear it for them. We can bear it with them. This kind of servanthood, as we'll discover today, is dependent on three things. Experience over expertise, compassion over correction, and acceptance over advice. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, you are good and you are good all the time. It's astounding to us that you would offer your son on our behalf. Indeed, we are amazed by your love. Pray that today, you would nudge us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear a word to and for us so that when we leave this place, we might be prepared to be carriers of hope in a fresh way, God. We are here because we love you and we want to be more like you. So Father God, hide me behind your word. May your word and your spirit guide us. I pray this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Well, as I said, we're called to be carriers of hope to a world struggling with the weight of sin, the weight of loneliness and hardship. And we do this by showing up in the lives of others as compassionate partners when they're on a rugged road. We wanna be those who carry burdens with others. Fixing and helping are strategies to repair life. Serving requires something different. It requires connection. Empathy, rather than sympathy, is how we share the burden with others. When we show up as empathetic listeners, eager to extend God's unconditional loving presence, we love our neighbor. This is how we also love our world. I said experience over expertise. I love Dallas Willard's words to us. He says, you're a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient. 
It is only when we accept and articulate this that we have the opportunity to be the yoke mate of someone bearing a heavy load. I wanna be like the master yoke mate himself. Do you allow others to share your load when you're burdened? Are you experienced at leaning on Jesus? You know, the peace and joy that flow through our lives and are experienced by others, those things are connected directly to our trust in God, our dependence on Him, and our confidence in Him. See, it's, again, not our expertise, but our own experience with God that matters. This morning we read Psalm 139 as our call to worship, and I love the message version of it. As I read it to you, I want you to reflect on this one question. Can you declare this as confidently as the psalmist does? God, is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute, you're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you, God. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Do you believe this? That God is with you wherever you are, whether you're experiencing a dark day or a day filled with sunshine? Do you believe he's with you right in the middle of your mess? Willard once wrote about a tiny child who crept into his father's bedroom to sleep. In the dark, knowing the father was present was enough to take away the child's sense of aloneness. Is your face turned toward me, father? The child would ask. Yes, his father replied. My face is turned toward you. Only then could this child go to sleep. You and I need to know that the Father's face is turned towards us, even when we can't see him in the dark. We need to be people whose confidence is in this God. Secondly, I said companionship over correction. Let's get back to the yoke in Jesus' image earlier. So if you can imagine for a moment an oxen yoke, there are two loops that hang down from a big, heavy beam at the top, and the oxen's heads are placed through those loops. You can imagine, too, that they might have, they'd have to stay in, in sync as they're walking and plowing the field. One couldn't hurry the other. They'd need to stay in the same rhythm. I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of experience with oxen yokes, so um, that analogy works a little bit, but I like this one better. How about that of a three-legged race? How many of you have willingly lashed your leg to someone else's at a picnic and raced across the yard? Come on, how many? Okay, most of us. Well, it gets more interesting, right, if the runners are of varying heights and sizes, really different leg lengths. Anyone in the room want to be uh, in a three-legged race with Randy Brothers at 6'6"? Six, six? <laughs> that might get interesting. So how do we learn to run alongside another runner? who is not us, they're different. Well, we have to learn to practice presence with them, to learn their rhythm, and to stay in sync with where they are right in the middle of their mess. Companionship is how we learn to get in sync with them in their stride. 
Empathy rather than sympathy is what's required for this kind of companionship. There's a big difference between those two. See, empathy fuels connection. Sympathy fuels disconnection. Cynthia Wiseman is a researcher, and she researched those in the helping profession, people who in their daily work practice empathy. Here's how she defines empathy. She says that empathy is to take on the perspective of the other, to stay out of judgment, to recognize the emotion in the other, and to communicate to them that you understand what they're feeling. See, to empathize is to feel with people. This is absolutely sacred stuff. When someone's in a deep hole and they have the courage to be vulnerable and say to you or to me, I'm stuck down here, it's dark. I feel alone and afraid. Empathy looks like this. I climb down into that pit with them. And I say, I've been in a few dark places myself. I see that you're in pain. You're not alone. Empathy is actually a really vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you when you're in pain, I have to connect with something in myself that's experienced pain. I can bring up a lot of my own baggage, but once I have learned to befriend my own pain and trust my God in that pain, I can entrust you to Jesus and sit with you while you're in pain. Eugene Peterson says this, life consists in the constant meeting of souls which must share their contents with each other. Empathy means that we sit with our friend in pain without trying to fix, without trying to minimize. We are simply present to them. Well, what does this companionship actually look like? I would say in truth that it's different for each person, so I'll just share a couple of examples of friends of mine. My friend Terry lost her husband when they were in their early 50s. He died suddenly of a heart attack. And her small group friends paid really close attention to her after he died. They noticed something, that, that weekdays between 5 and 7 p.m. were particularly painful for her. Well, of course, for decades, that's when he'd come home for work. And that's when she felt so very alone. So the women in her small group called her and asked her permission to join her on weekdays from 5 to 7 p.m. And you know what? That's exactly what they did. Sometimes one of them, sometimes more. They would sit with her. They would cook dinner with her. Sometimes they'd go for a walk. And sometimes they were just a silent, loving presence. They showed up for Terry, and she knew then that she wasn't alone. Sharing the load might look like the journey my friend Mike is on. While he was undergoing treatment for his cancer, his wife came home one day to announce she was leaving. His friends came around him with tenderness and care. They took him to his chemo appointments. They made sure there was food in the fridge. They sat with him as he grieved the loss of his wife and his hair. And one of those men confided in me, he said, Courtney, I sit quietly while Mike weeps and I'm speechless. There's nothing I can say to make him feel better. There's nothing I can do to fix this. I have no words of comfort. And I reminded him, his comfort was his loving presence. 
with Mike. Showing up as a compassionate companion is all about presence. Finally, we need to practice acceptance over advice. And acceptance is really the heart of compassion. Compassion is this, to allow another to feel totally exposed and completely loved and accepted at the same time. Remember, I said God met Israel right in the middle of her mess and provided a new way, a way that removed judgment. So too, to be compassionate and accepting, we must set aside judgment. In order to truly be connected to another, we have to allow them to be seen and heard and valued right where they are. As we join them in carrying their burden, we must set aside our own desires to fix, to offer advice, or to be directive. We can only actually help make the burden light if we get in step with them right where they are, right in the middle of their mess. Suffering isolates and pain alienates us from the community. It is in participation with another that the soul begins to find healing and wholeness. We are designed for relationship. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, two are better than one. Carrying the burden with another, showing up as the loving presence of Jesus Christ sounds like this. I see you. I see your pain. You're not alone. Please pray with me. Jesus, give us your eyes to see those in our neighborhoods, our places of work, our family, our school, who are bending under the weight of a heavy burden. Give us the courage to come alongside those we know who are beneath a heavy load. And then Jesus, make us attentive to the leading of your spirit. Guide us to practice compassionate companionship, to be loving and gentle, that we might serve others as you did, allowing them to live with a lighter burden and find rest for their souls in you. Amen.